to Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Katie. I'm Alan. And we're still married. Alan, we have an excellent interview that we did last week with Andrew and Katie Mon. Yeah, I really liked it. I, I thought they were quite ple- pleasurable. Pleasure, not pleasurable. <laughs> That's not the right word. Um, pleasant. Pleasant. Yeah, pleasant. that works. They had some great insight, great things to say. And a really interesting uh, perspective on mixed faith marriage, since they currently are in one now. But before we get to the interview... We had a couple of announcements. So one announcement I wanted to make is Andrew and Katie, their interview was the first of a number that are set up through Calendly. So on Calendly, in the show notes on this episode, and uh, uh, we'll try to remember to put it on the show notes for all the forthcoming episodes... But if you are interested in sharing your story, you can go on to Calendly and just book a time with us. All of our availability is on there. Uh, after you book a time, we usually send an email out to say, hey, what's your brief brief summary of what you want to share? We've got a number of couples. We're excited. We're interviewing a an actual therapist tomorrow who's also in a mixed faith marriage. So that's a, kind of a double bonus. We're excited to interview him. Yeah. So if you would like to do that, go to Calendly and schedule yourself to be on the show. Also, we wanted to announce that today is the last day to get $50 off. Today being December 1st. Right. Today being Tuesday, December 1st. After today, the prices go up 50 bucks. So if you would like to join us for our January class, or you would like to sign up for kind of a do-it-yourself model, either way, you get $50 off through today. So if you have any questions, you can reach out to us through email, Instagram, Facebook, all the usual channels. To sign up there, you can go to marriageonatightrope.thinkific.com. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C.com. I think the the dark horse in the three products that you see on the three different courses, I should say, on Thinkific that you see is the sex and intimacy course. Currently, uh, it's just before Christmas time, and some couples may be looking at the costs of both the do-it-yourself and the January class and saying, like, how do I fit this into a Christmas gift? Um, personally, I think it's an amazing gift. But the $97 uh, Sex and Intimacy Masterclass is really, really good value because we have two hours with Natasha Helfer teaching by herself on sex and intimacy. And then everyone that signs up for that will be invited to join us for a 90-minute Q&A, which will be coming up in February. And if you do sign up today, uh, not only do you get $50 off, but you automatically get sex and intimacy um, that is included In both of those, that's correct. Right. So if you would like that, sign up today. It's your last day. And we are excited to see those who have already signed up who will be joining us in January. Before we get to the interview with with Andrew and Katie, we'd like to ask for your donations. This is, we're coming up on year four of Marriage on a Tightrope. Uh, One thing that Katie has said is that she has felt called as much as any other calling to um, really put in her all and our all into this podcast. And what we always... (laughs) We always talked about being mission president and, um, well, mission presidents together. And we're coming up on three years of that. Is this the mission that you had in mind? I think it's it definitely has a bigger impact than what I would have ever thought 
Oh, that's great. Don't you think? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's tender to hear you say that. Yeah, I do. I I do feel like it's been a mission. But you guys, we're three years and we're released, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here, here's what it comes down to. Um, we absolutely see the value of of what these this podcast is doing for for mixed faith marriages. Many couples come into the space, and within a couple of years, you process through it, um, and you've you've learned how to live in a mixed faith marriage, and you move on. But there are always couples coming into this space, and for us, we're one of the couples that has processed it for a long time. Doing the podcast was a uh, was therapeutic. And there are still moments that we still need to talk about and we hit record when we need that. But for the most part, we are doing this podcast now exclusively for you, the listener. And it's not only for us anymore. We, we've moved on as far, not as far as the church goes, but as far as the, the pain, the, the very real difficulties in a mixed faith marriage I think we've that, processed through much, if not most of that. Right. I think anyone that listened to our healing episode, which, by the way, thanks for the response. I think we got a huge response in people who really, really loved that episode and are really looking forward to get to a place of healing or have been healed themselves. And I think that you can hear us in that episode talk about where we are today versus where we were three years ago. And there has been a lot of healing that has gone on. So this is a call. If if you have been a listener for one week or what's what's fifty two times three, hundred and hundred and fifty six weeks, this is a call for for you to donate to Marriage on a Tightrope. If you've benefited from this, it is not only appreciated but it is needed. We spend a lot of our time and effort. Just to give you an idea, right now it's ten o'clock at night. Uh, if you listen really carefully, you might hear our two younger kids in the na- neighboring room. Uh, this is when we do marriage on a tightrope. We put the kids down and we jump over into my office, the room where I am stuck for 10 hours during the workday. We go back into that room. And if we're conscious enough, we'll hit the hot tub and, and go to bed afterwards. If you can find it in your in your hearts and in your wallets to donate to us, it truly is needed and it helps us really justify the time away from our family uh, that, that it takes to make this podcast uh, happen and on a week-to-week basis. Not to mention the, the effort that we put into the Facebook group, the emails, the couples that we meet up with uh, for dinner, the events that we put on, the uh, developing the, of the, the workshop, and all of those things. We want to keep this going because we, we see the true value in it. Not to mention that many couples, you're saving 10% by not paying tithing. Why not take why not take just a few percent of that and throw it to marriage in a tightrope? Oh my gosh. Are you are you telling people to not pay their tithing? No, I would I would never tell people not to pay their tithing. A lot blasphemous. of No, I would never do that. A lot of couples, they don't they want to be charitable with their a uh, 10%. So they set 10% aside. We do that. We set 10% aside. But you don't always have an idea of where to do that with. So please, if you would like to donate, you can go to marriageonatightrope.org. There's a donate button there. We also can accept Venmo. Uh, on the marriageonatightrope.org, that's the best way to set up a recurring uh, donation, whether that's 
five dollars, fifty dollars, or fifty million dollars. Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos. Maybe he's in a mixed faith marriage. No, he's divorced. No, he's divorced. It didn't work out for him. <laughs> no, it did. Not. I would like to think that a Mormon mixed faith marriage had something to do with it, but I'm doubtful. Nope not not even <laughs> not even a little not even a little bit. <laughs> I don't think he's hurting. So you can also, like Alan said, donate um, to our Venmo at Marriage on a Tightrope. And we want to thank, there are a number of you who are consistent donors to us. And we just want to say thank you. You know, the small to larger amounts, every little bit makes us just excited to do more and put more um, effort and work out there for all of you. So thank you for your past support, and we really appreciate your future support to continue to help us make the best out of what mixed faith marriage is. All right, let's get to the interview with Katie and Andrew Mon. And now we would like to welcome to Marriage on a Tightrope, Katie and Andrew Mon. Welcome on, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us. <laughs> We're super excited to have you. Now, we can see you. We don't release the videos here, but back on your wall, you have a quite a relevant mixed faith marriage quote. <laughs> Let your faith be bigger than your fear. For the record, that was put up before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, but well, you've kept it up. It's up. Yeah. And, and honestly, like that could be, uh, forget the religious overtones, that could be a marriage quote. There's yeah. a lot of fear in mixed faith marriage, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's let's talk. We're going to talk fears eventually, but we would love to get to know both Katie and Andrew. Uh, first of all, we ask the same question of everybody. Uh, you know, what does it mean for you to be all in? Oh, sorry, that's the wrong podcast. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Definitely not this podcast. <laughs> um, why did you crazy kids want to come on to Marriage on a Tightrope? Um. Was it my idea? I don't remember. Someone made the appointment. <laughs> I know. Well, we both sat down and made it. We kind of, I think for one, we wanted to really, maybe this is selfish. We wanted a way to be able to share it with family and friends and not have to like rehash it every time or like have this like deep, let's sit down and have this conversation, you know? Yeah. So and I, I think that was part of it. I do feel like as we listen to your podcasts and other podcasts of people going through similar situations, we just felt like this is awesome. This there, there's a community of people mm-hmm. who are going through the same thing that doesn't get talked about at church or at general conference at all, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, and it's something that I have learned way more people are going through than I thought was possible. And so we found this community and um, I'm not on social media. I use Katie's login and then I just kind of spy on things uh, now and again. And so I get to see people's stories. And um, since I don't really have an outlet on the internet, I guess, to uh, interact and share my stories, I kind of have to do it through her. But I thought if there is an opportunity for us to get our story out there, uh, let's do it. I mean, if we can, we've been helped by your podcast and the stories that have been shared. So, you know, why not see if we can share our story and some people might connect and be helped as well. So. 
Yeah, I think um, I'm so glad you guys came on because everybody may have similar threads through their stories, but everyone's unique as well. And one person's story will hit home to, you know, a listener that listen to us all the time and then we'll feel connected to your story. So we're so glad to have you here. We're going to dive right in. And the first thing that we wanted to kind of go over is both of your it's backgrounds. Your candy bar. Oh. You can, I guess you can. Sorry. Yeah. Backgrounds. That makes more sense. That makes more sense. <laughs> backgrounds. Backgrounds. So uh, Andrew, if you want to start, maybe you can tell us about your upbringing in the church and then we'll, we'll have Katie tell us about hers. Andrew, what's your maiden name? Uh, it is Kendrew. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Andrew Kendrew. Um, so I was, I was born into the church. I was raised in uh, Riverton, Utah, and uh, which is insane to think about now. It's it was all there was like a giant alfalfa farm behind my house, and we had horses. And now it's like I don't even recognize it when I go there. But I was I was raised in the church. We were super devoted. Um, when I was really young, I feel like we went to church every Sunday. But then when there's like state conference, it was like state conference was like a buy day you know (laughs) it's optional um but then when we got a little bit older i feel like my parents got a little more serious and we started going to state conference uh which we realized uh they were sparing us from a basically two-hour sacrament meeting Uh, without bread and water yes with no intermission right (laughs) i mean really who wants to take little kids to a state conference i do not blame your parents yeah being uh being a parent of a six and a four-year-old now we I understand a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, so we super believing my mom's, uh, my mom's parents were converts and she was super strong as well. Um, and so I was raised in that. And, uh, as a kid, I was just super, I've always been super literal. Like I, I'm, I very much need to see how things work and I need to be able to imagine it in my mind. And so, um, I remember asking a lot of questions when I was a kid and I remember specifically driving, I think we were driving past the Jordan river temple one day when I was little. And I asked my mom, what's it going to be like when Christ comes again? Like, what's it going to be like, what's it going to look like? And she said, you know, there'll be, you know, trumpets and light coming through the clouds and all this stuff. And I just remember thinking like, it was so hard for me to imagine, even as a kid, I was just like, why would there be trumpets? Like <laughs> why? I, I just couldn't imagine it happening. You know, even though I'd seen so many movies and stuff, like it was just, I wanted to be able to imagine in my mind, like how, how it would happen, you know? Um, and so I've just always been a very, very critical that way. Um, I, I remember thinking many times uh, in sacrament meeting when my mind would just wander, you know, what happens if I die and this is it? And there's, and it's, it's not what I thought it was, you know? Um, and I was like, no, that's, no, that's, that's too scary. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad that I've got knowledge of the gospel because I know where I'm going after I die. And it's a lot happier than just there being nothing, you know? Um, but I remember thinking those things, even as a, as a young kid, um, I remember thinking that it was, you know, when people would say like, oh yeah, like, my mom or my dad doesn't believe in God. Like I remember thinking like, Oh, that's so sad. Like 
what do you what do you tell your kids when they ask you you know what's going to happen after this life or you know why certain things happen and they don't have the answers like i'm so glad i have all the answers you know in the church you know um and so i was pr- a pretty good kid my mom says i was a a, a model child until i was a teenager <laughs> your wife's giving was- you the side eye <laughs> Until I was a teenager. That's so story I heard. What? <laughs> no, she would ask her, ask her any day. She'll tell you that I was the angel child because Matthew, yeah. He, oh, he, Matthew. It's yeah, always yeah. Matthew. He, he gave her a run for her money, but then he became a teenager and he was a really good teenager. So anyway, um, so I was kind of a punk. I rebelled as a teenager. Um, I never got into drugs or alcohol or anything that never interested me. I have OCD. And so and I'm, I, I, I just like control. And so the idea of any kind of substance that's going to alter my mind is terrifying because then I'm not behind the wheel, you know? Um, and so, but as a teenager, I got into trouble with all my friends. Like we, I don't know if I should say <laughs> certain things that we did that were definitely illegal uh, and probably, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we got into trouble. Um, I had different. You don't have to tell those stories. I know. <laughs> I had different uh, girlfriends at young ages as a teenager, and it's just a it's just a bad deal. And then when I was, I was I was seventeen, seventeen. I was almost eighteen, and I told my parents that I didn't want to go to church anymore. And we had a big blowout, and we had like months of fighting. And I didn't really have any good reason other than I wasn't sure. I was just like, I just can't imagine all this stuff being real. Like I I just can't see it. Um, So we fought for a while. They forced me to go and it was just, they finally realized that it wasn't a good thing to, to force me. And they decided not to force me to go anymore. Um, And then I met a girl who uh, was a really good influence on me and helped me to, Basically, she asked all these questions about, you know, why I stopped going to church or why I didn't believe. I didn't really have any good answers other than I wasn't sure, you know. And so she encouraged me to read the Book of Mormon and pray and, you know, go to church again and do all these things. And um, and so I did. And we started dating. And so, you know, that's always really good motivation, too. Right. Um, and she basically helped me go on a mission. Uh, I went back to church and uh, decided I wanted to share my experience of having kind of fallen away from church and going back. And so I went, I served in Orlando, Florida and it was awesome and difficult. And I made lots of friends. I'm still really good friends with a lot of them today. Um, And that's kind of how I met Katie was because of, uh, well, not because of my mission, but but because of missionary work and because of (laughs) missions. Right. Um, my little brother served a mission in New Jersey, and uh, that's where my wife served. That's kind of how we met. Yes. All right. Nice. That was a good. Go ahead, Katie. Sorry. Go ahead. I just was saying, and that gets us to us. Right. <laughs> no, that's, well done. That's a really good synopsis of, um, I guess, where were your parents just really like excited and happy that you were coming back and going back to church? Like, what was their response to you? So they were all stoked. I remember right before I went on a date uh, with with my girlfriend at the time that was, you know, helping me get back in the church that 
I was like trying to leave. I think I was trying to get the keys to the car because um, I didn't want to take my date in uh, my 91 Dodge Caravan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was trying to get the keys to the Civic so that I could go. And my dad w- wanted to know where I was going. I didn't want to tell him that I had this big cheesy date planned um, to drive to the top of this mountain and watch the sunset oh. and and dance. Yeah, we danced in the parking lot. I know. It was mm. I don't dance. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to tell them my plan, and so I was like, "If I if I just tell you that I decided to go on a mission, will you shut up and give me the keys?" And my, I think my aunt and uncle were there too for whatever reason. They were just like, "Oh my gosh!" And they gave me the keys, and I just ran out the door. <laughs> that's one way to shut them up. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So they they were stoked, and I think when we got back, we ended up talking about it, and they, like they they could see the change in me. They knew that I was, you know obviously not as much of a punk as I had been the last few years. And so, uh, so they were stoked. My dad, especially was stoked. He loved his mission. He talked about it every day. Um, and so, yeah, they were, they were very happy to see me turn around and not have to be fighting me every day. So. Yeah. Um, I want to hear Katie, um, let's go to you. I want to hear a little bit about same thing, your upbringing, um, in the church and what that was like for you. Okay. So I was born in California, Bay area. Um, my parents met there. They were, I mean, my mom got married two weeks out of high school, <laughs> very much, very young. Um, my dad's best friend and next door neighbor was a member of the church. Um, my grandparents were Baptist we had a lot of different religions, I think in my family, my parents um, ended up converting Um, Wait, what was your mom before and what was your dad before? uh, My mom's family was Catholic. I don't know that they were like super religious, like going to church, like super religious, but they um, were Catholic. I know she was raised in the Catholic church. Um, And yeah, then my dad's parents were Baptist um, from the South, so Southern Baptist, but I mean, had moved to California. And um, they converted, my parents converted after they got married, but before we were born. so we grew up, I grew up in California. I was the only member of the church in my element, like not in my elementary school, but in my class in elementary school um, from kindergarten to fifth grade. Um, but I grew up, I mean, we'd have family dinner, family dinners and we'd say grace and we'd all hold hands and we'd stand in a circle and I'd go with my papa to his church to do his secretarial clerical stuff that he'd do. Um, sometimes we'd go to different services at their church. It was just kind of Baptist church or the Catholic church, the Baptist church, the Baptist church. Okay. Oh, I did go into the Catholic church a couple of times with, I remember going with one of my friends. I'd stayed the night at her house um, and her family went to this Catholic church that was like right around the corner from our stake center. And I'd always seen it, but I'd never been inside. So I remember going to service with them there one time. Um, so I just kind of, I grew up in this, I don't know, I had lots of, I guess it was a mixed faith family, right? (laughs) Just a mixed faith immediate family. Um, We moved to Vegas, Las Vegas when I was 11. So just before I went into middle school, um, we called it middle school there. I don't know, here in Utah, you guys have weird names for things. Um, (laughs) I claim California still, so. Okay, junior high, I don't know. Anyway, um, and even, I mean, in in middle school, we had, um, there was a larger um. LDS community. I went to school with a lot more people that I went to church with and that was really cool. Um, but I also, I mean, as I went to high school, I got to know more people that weren't members of the church. I, I even went to, um, 
youth groups every now and again with other friends of different faiths. I remember talking about God. I remember having discussions like at lunch with certain friends about God, sometimes heated, but it's fine. Um, but just to the point that like, I, I think my idea of God is different or was different than maybe how Andrew grew up. There's different things that we've talked about over the years. And I'm like, that's how I've always thought God was. That's not what the church taught. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just have a different idea of it. What are some examples of that? Like how you view God versus maybe how like an Orthodox Mormon would view God? Um, I think that that's a really good question. <laughs> and it's kind of hard to put myself in an Orthodox position right now. Right. Well, it's like you've never really been there. Yeah. But, but I think, I mean, and I have been in, in certain ways, but sure. like to the point that like, I was very much like, we do what the prophets say. We're like, we're obedient. Exactly. Like and that's how the blessings come. Um, but I think I've always, I've always believed that God loves me, which isn't, I guess, unorthodox. Um, but I don't see him as like this judge that's just like, oh, you did wrong, better do better, you know? But I see him as someone who's coming, I mean, that Christ is coming and sitting beside me and saying, hey, I know this is really hard right now and I'm going to love you through it. Do um, you see him as that for your for your Catholic and your Baptist family as well? Like that they loved, he loved your family, whatever religion they were, um, just despite them not being Mormon? That's an interesting question. Cause I think, um, I did, and I was thinking about this today. I did have in my mind, like you're there, but you're not there yet. You know, like you have to be a member of my church to like really be there and really be saved. But like, I know that God loves your effort, you know, <laughs> like, and I don't, that sounds so judgmental, but I, and I don't think that I meant it it really was inside my head, but I don't think that I meant it in like a mean way, like, Oh, you're just not there. But I mean, I remember, um, really wanting on my mission, um, for my grandma to just like read my emails or just to read my letters, you know, like, just, I just want you to like, know what we know and, you know, love what we love. And, um, so there was an element of like, he loves you so much. And I know he's there with you, but like, he's just not there with you as much. As he is, right. you don't, don't know. the spirit, and don't feel bad yeah, about that because that's welcome, welcome I, to religion. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Right? Everyone thinks that they have the special thing. Right? Yeah, that is a very good point. But um, so growing up, I ended up um, graduating high school, going to BYU, thinking that I was just going to get married. Super mad that I turned twenty one and I wasn't married yet because I'd always said, <laughs> if I turn twenty one and I'm not married, I'll go on a mission. Um, I remember my bishop like trying really hard to get me to <laughs> date people. And I was like, look, I want to get married, but now I'm going on a mission. So now just let me go on my mission. And yes, Andrew, Andrew's brother, Matthew and I were in the MTC together. He was, oh, wow. he was uh, six weeks ahead of me, but we were in the same district and I was the only sister out of those two districts um, that went to New Jersey with like 10 or 11 or 12 different elders. So they were like brothers to me every time we'd see each other on our mission, like we were just really close. And so when I came home through another, like met a mission friend, we met, I met Matthew's family cause he was still on his mission. And that's how I met Andrew. Here's Very a question nice. for both of you on your missions. Did you, did either of you feel like, um, 
I don't know. What, like, what was your experience? Was it overall an, a positive experience? Was it, um, you know, I know that, that it's hard and it's good, but I think some people can get wrapped up. I mean, I think, um, Andrew, you, you mentioned like some of these OCD tendencies. Did those come out on your mission? And what did that look like for you? So <laughs> to give you an idea, I had no idea what the rules were other than like, I heard that you, you're not supposed to like hug girls, right? Or hold babies, right? Or hold babies or shake the babies. <laughs> no shaking babies. Uh, I think that's a general human. I think that's, yeah. That's oh, a parenting rule. Today. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I guess. Not um, just on the mission. <laughs> so I, I remember getting set apart and then one of my best friends, Jason, came over and like went to give me a hug and I like gave him a handshake instead. <laughs> Cause I was just, I was so weird. I was just like, I'm going to be the best missionary ever. <laughs> and I was like determined to be completely obedient and everything. And I got to the MTC and they started, you know, showing us how we talk about things and how the lessons are structured. And um, I just remember having kind of a hard time with it because I was like, wait, we got to go tell people that we're the only true church. Cause like in my mind, Growing up in it, it's like all I knew, right? Like I, I it wasn't like Katie. I didn't grow up with like I had one friend, um, who grew up going to a different. Uh, it was like a non-denominational Christian mm-hmm. church, and he's one of my best friends. But that was it. I mean, everybody else was a member of the church, whether they you know were super strong or not. But everybody was a member, and so I didn't really connect the dots. Like even though you know, the girl that I was dating helped me read the Book of Mormon and find out if it was true or not. In my mind, it was like, I don't know how to describe it. It was just, it it was just like, oh, well, this is truth. And this is what we need to teach everybody. But then when I was in the MTC, it, it it sounds like I was an idiot, but I, (laughs) I just was like, we've got to tell everybody that they're wrong. And so that kind of freaked me out. Right. I remember asking them like, what, do we say when we knock on somebody's door and they, they didn't really have a door approach. They just were like, we'll say whatever comes to your mind. And I remember really freaking out my MTC teacher because I was just very blunt. Like I'm not a salesperson. I, I just say whatever comes out of my mind. And she was very, very caught off guard by a few of my door approaches. <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember any examples? I don't know. I think it, she, she was just, she was role playing a very hard to get investigator at the door. And I think I like pushed my way into the door that we were, you know, role playing at and was just like, well, if you don't let us in to hear the message, then you're going to hell. So you better let us in. And she was, she was just, you can't say that. And so I remember very quickly my, you know, exact obedience kind of fell apart because uh, I just realized that like our message is going to be really difficult to, to get to, to get into people and to get people to, to really listen to, you know, cause I'm like, nobody's especially in the South. Yeah. Especially in Florida where mm-hmm. everybody has read the Bible and knows it. And uh, so I, I had a great experience. So I was, I would say that my, my overall experience was positive. There's definitely um, plenty of difficult things that, uh, that happened and that I went through and I went through depression, like the the one year mark, I feel like is, is 
just hard for a lot of missionaries. And I remember there being a few months right in the middle that was really, really tough, but I'd say it was an overall positive experience. I mean, I, I love the people that I served and met and I'm still friends with today. So um, other than the, the kind of sales approach that I just never seemed to master, uh, I think it was good. Katie, was it more comfortable for you salesmanship wise, because you have already had these conversations with family members and you're used to talking about God during lunchtime with friends. I mean, was that a sort of natural for you? No, no. <laughs> I think the thing that was um, comforting for me, I, I was Spanish speaking and Latinos just in general, like love to talk about God. And so I don't know. I just felt like I was approaching people who love to talk about God. And so it was, that was more natural. Um, but getting to the point where we're like, no, listen, like this is, this is why you're wrong. And this is why we're right. <laughs> like that was a hard thing. It was always a hard thing. Um, they are that? very agreeable. I mean, because Latinos, I mean, they do, if you talk about God, they'll agree with what you're saying. If you say, I have a message about God, then they're like, oh, come, come, come. And I'm going to yeah. make you right. all the things and you'll be here for three hours. And I love them so much. I always oh loved Latin prayers. I mean, Spanish prayers. Yes. Like they say Padre so many times. She's like, every <laughs> sentence is like, Father, and we ask for this. And Father, we're so grateful for this. And that was like a tradition I always brought back and tell dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I love how, how thoughtful you both were in in your missions, like I was just a, a dumb, dumb. Oh yeah, this is what we do. I guess it's right then. And and Andrew, you know, I, I'm listening to you. And I'm like, those thoughts never crossed my mind ever on the mission. And that's like, I kind of had to just revert back to my story, which is like, hey, I stopped going to church for like a year, and everything kind of spiraled out of control. But then I went back, and then everything started working out. So. You know, this is my story that I'm telling you, and maybe the church can help you too. Like that—that that was basically kind of what I fell back to because I was just like, if I'm out here to help people come to Christ, it's going to be because of me. Like it's going to be because of, and not because of me, like the spirit, right? Yeah. But but because of my personality, right. what I bring right. to the relationship that we have with those people, right? right? And so that's kind of what I fell onto. I was not a. Uh, I was not a uh, run-of-the-mill missionary, you could say. I've we could go through my mission pictures, and it'd be very apparent. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was good though. Good. I, I want to say something really fast about mine, and I think it might be a theme throughout this podcast episode. But um, I remember being afraid, and I I, I think I, I was considered amongst my, I don't know, peers as one who really believed in God and I wasn't ever going to waver. And I remember going into my bishop, my singles ward bishop, I think it was like a week or two before I was supposed to report to the MTC. So I got my call in May, the beginning of May, and I didn't report until the end of August. So I had like four months to try and find a husband, right? (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, I went into my bishop and I was like, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do. Like in my mind, I was like, okay, who has stewardship over me? Who can, who has a right to receive revelation for me? 
my bishop does. I'm going to go talk to my bishop. And so I went to my bishop and I was like, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do. And he looked at me. <laughs> I was so frustrated, but he said, he's like, Katie, I can't tell you whether or not you're supposed to serve a mission, but I can promise you, you won't regret it. And, um, and I realized in that moment that it was really my choice. It wasn't like this, God, what am I supposed to do? It was like, okay, this is a good choice. And, and because of that, I'm going to go on this mission. And even with like my background, like with my family, with how I was raised with my friends, um, there were so many times I wanted to go home so many times. And I, I never thought that was going to be me. I don't go, I'm not going to go home for a mission. There were so many times I wanted to go home, not mainly because it just, it was just hard. (laughs) (laughs) I really struggled with loving myself on my mission, but, um, anyway, my point is that like, I, for me in my experience in very pivotal moments of my life, like God hasn't been a God that said, this is what you're supposed to do or else you're never going to make it. It was more like, for me, my relationship with God has been, um, let me know your options and, you know, you get to choose them. Like I gave you this gift of agency and, and I'm going to support you in whatever you decide. Um, anyway. That's great. I think we could <laughs> we could talk about missions. All four of us having served missions, we could talk about it forever. Yeah. <laughs> this is a marriage <laughs> podcast, so I think maybe we should get to the marriage. So you meet, you fall in love, you get married, blah blah blah. All right. Yep. So, <laughs> what year? What year did you get married? Twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Awesome. So you get married, and, and oh, then you have more questions. Well, okay. I just want to like quickly ask for both of you, what was it that you were looking for and what was it that you both found attractive in each other? Um, I always told, I I have no idea what he's going to say right now. (laughs) Uh, I always told my friends once we were engaged, I think um, they asked me similar questions, you know, what, what do you like most about Katie or, or, you know, why is it that you were drawn to or whatever? And I just said, I was tired of dating girls and I wanted to date a woman. Ooh. That is a strong statement. Yeah. Yeah. So, and she, she's what, seven years, seven, seven years, seven months older than me. Um, so that's kind of the joke when people find out that she's older than me, but, but it's true. I mean, I just wanted a, somebody that would be a great mom and a super good friend to me and was beautiful and didn't judge me for loving video games. And uh, literally, I'm like, I think it was on our second date. She said, you know what I love about you? I love that, <laughs> that you play video games, but you're, you're normal. You're not socially like awkward. You know? <laughs> there were a few other things I said about that. I'm glad you didn't. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, yeah, that was it. She just was a great woman. How about for you, Katie, after you stop blushing? Um, I know. It's because I was afraid he was going to say something. But... <laughs> <laughs> those are, that's, um, those are me, embarrassing just, blushes. Right. I remember sitting down after my mission and I was like, hey, I got serious about marrying somebody. And well, what do I want? Like, what do I really want in a spouse? And I wrote down a list of things. And um, first, one of the first things was just that he loved God and that he loved me. Um, 
I honestly don't remember what the rest of the list was, <laughs> but those were things that when I met Andrew and we started talking and just sharing our lives with each other, like it was just like, okay, he does, he loves God and he's pretty into me, which is great too. <laughs> so yeah. I am. Both super important things. I look back at the times like in Young Women's where they would have us write down a journal entry and list all of the qualities we wanted. And, you know, and I I remember when Alan and I got engaged, I gave him the book that like I had written all of those things in. Oh, I mean, no, no man can live up to that. Not one. So, hey, I, I'm tall. That was on the list, right? Yeah, I did like the tall athletic guys, but one for 30. Nailed it. <laughs> but the rest, and now, man, has that list dwindled because you know what? <laughs> well, your list has changed too. My list has changed. <laughs> oh. Absolutely. Anyway, um, okay, so, uh, Andrew, I wanted you to take us through um, a little bit about your dad. And, and, you know, kind of what happened with him um, to your faith transition. Yeah. And how those two tie together for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we found out, um, I got home in April of 2011. And then I found out in February of 2012 uh, that my dad had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, He had gotten, uh, he, he started to have a, a tooth pain in one of his wisdom teeth. My dad was a huge man. He was six foot five, like this big burly dude. And he had a huge head. That's why my head's so huge and our kids' heads are so huge. Uh, And so he had lots of room for his wisdom teeth. So he never got his wisdom teeth taken out. And one of them was bothering him. And so he went to the dentist to have it looked at. And um, they just decided, well, you know, if it's bugging you, we'll just pull them out. And so when they went to pull that particular tooth out, it came out with almost no resistance. Uh, and the dentist was like, that's not right. And so they looked underneath it and they ended up sending it to the lab and, you know, found out that there was a, a little tumor about the size of a pea that was growing just in the roof of his mouth uh, behind that tooth. And it was diagnosed as malignant mucosal melanoma. Um, and I don't remember the stats that the doctors gave him, but I mean, he was one in, you know, millions of people that have hmm. been Diagnosed with that kind of, of stage four at that point. I don't know. I never learned the stages or no. anything of cancer. Like I just uh, maybe stages of grief, but <laughs> right. um, yeah. So we found that out, uh, and he started on treatments. They had a bunch of different uh, treatments at the uh, is it university, the Huntsman Cancer Institute. Um, they had a bunch of different new treatments that he tried. Um, initially they gave him, I think six months to live. And then once they came out with some of these treatments that they said he was a good candidate for, um, it ended up stretching his life out about two, two and a half years years from when he was diagnosed. Um, Katie and I got married in 2013 and then, um, we had our first son in September 2014 of 2014 not 2013 yeah uh and then my dad passed away um at the end of october uh that year so he got to hold our oldest son a couple times while he was in bed um really sick and then he passed away about a little less than two months yeah um 
after our first son was born. Um, and it was, it was really cool. Honestly, we talked about it a lot as a family, like knowing that you don't have much time left and how differently you can live your life because of that. Um, my dad loved to travel. And so one of his life insurance policies, he made sure he got a clause in there. I can't remember what the name of the clause is. We ended up getting it too with ours, but um, that if he's diagnosed with a terminal illness that he can take out, I think it's like 80% of his life insurance policy early. Um, and so he did that. And then he took his family on vacations and mm-hmm. he fixed everything in the house so that my mom didn't have to worry about anything after he was gone. And he put in concrete where there was gravel on the side of the house. And I mean, he just, he did everything he possibly could to make sure that everything was just right for after he was gone. Um, and he spent more time with us and I don't know, life was just a little bit more meaningful when, uh, when we knew that we weren't going to have him for much longer, you know? And so it really was kind of a neat experience. I mean, I, I think I've told people that I think I'd almost prefer to know when somebody that I love is going to, going to die because it gives you time to say things that you don't usually say, you know? And I mean, we say, I love you all the time and we say it to our kids all the time. And I think that's one reason why, like, I, I don't know that my dad told me that he loved me all the time. Um, he showed me and I know he did. Um, but I think because of the last few years of his life, uh, and him telling us more frequently that we've kind of passed it on to our kids. So, um, but I remember specifically at the funeral, um, I, I talked, I think I still have them in my car, the CDs from our, from the funeral of what we spoke about, but I gave a talk and I remember saying that I was grateful that, the church has taught us that we can be together forever and that, that we decided as a family to be drawn closer together instead of be kind of torn apart um, and be angry at God for, you know, why this might have happened to us. And um, I mean, the fact that it was skin cancer uh, was my dad thought it was pretty ironic just because he was the one that when we went to the lake at Lake Powell, he had a shirt on and a huge Indiana Jones hat and he put on he just made sure that he uh was not gonna get sunburned because he hated to get sunburned and then he ends up getting skin skin cancer in his mouth somehow and uh he he was just so he was such a happy guy and he he kind of took it lighthearted. People that came to uh visit him when he was sick uh, always left saying like, he's so happy. Like he, I end up just, I go to like try to comfort him and then he ends up just making me feel better and asking about my family. And, um, he, he was, he was just, uh, he was such a good guy and I, I looked up to him so much, but, um, I, I remember that's when I really started to, to wonder, um, you know, am I going to see my dad again? And I, I, I really wanted to know 
you know, I got to figure this out. I got to figure out if, you know, cause it was really hard for me going back to me talking about, you know, I liked to imagine things and picture them in my mind realistically. It was hard for me to imagine what it was going to be like seeing my dad again on the other side, you know? And, um, so that's when I really started to, to question things up until that point with our marriage. I mean, we read the scriptures every day together and we read the scriptures every day on our own, listen to talks. I mean, we were like, we always talked about it, like what we learned. and Yeah. I mean, we were all in and I, I wanted to make sure, especially with my dad, like we knew that, you know, if, if we do everything the way we should, we will get blessings. Right. And so that was another reason why, um, you know, I wanted to be extra diligent in the gospel things because I wanted to make sure that, you know, our prayers were answered. And, um, you know, my dad was given a blessing in the very beginning that said, you know, the priesthood was how the, God created the earth and that's how you can be healed too. And so we were all kind of hoping that that was going to be the case, you know, and um, yeah. Started a question, and there was also like depression, just going through grief. That was a that was a really hard time, and like my just not knowing how to help him or what to do. And yeah, I don't know if I I didn't mention. I think we talked about it before, but my dad was forty seven. I'm the oldest, um, and I was twenty five when he died. So it was definitely too soon, too young. How do I? How do I be a dad? Yeah. How do I, that, that was something that, something that I still ask today, you know, like I really wish I could just ask my dad, like, what did you do in this scenario when I yeah. was, yeah. You know, like, um, we're going to frame some of our basement this weekend and man, he would be great <laughs> to, to, to have here for that. But, um, but yeah, the depression really started, um, I don't know. I mean, how many years in, to our marriage did it I mean was it was it right after that Lincoln was Lincoln was one when it was really bad oh anyway what is that? two years did you ever seek for help when you realized did you realize you were depressed or did you think you were just sad from your dad's death and then did you seek help for it yes <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I I don't think in the moment I did like the the first several months, I probably was just in denial. I I think I just thought that it was kind of my way of, you know, being sad was okay. Um, I didn't end up going to see a therapist until years later though. Yeah. I remember it was, we tried to like, so we lived in an apartment and then we moved into our own town home and then we sold our town home after his dad died. Like, almost a year after he died. Cause we just wanted to be closer to family. Cause I could see that Andrew was struggling. We wanted to be closer to family. We were like an hour away, um, 45 minutes to an hour. And so we decided to move in with his mom and his sister. Um, and a month after we moved in, found out that I was pregnant with our second. Um, so we had a one year old and I was newly pregnant with our second and sick and tired. And, um, I think, I think, the depression got worse as we were there. So, I mean, two months or two years into our marriage. Um, and so for a time I was, <laughs> I remember he says this to me, he's like, I would ask him like, Oh, what did you learn in your scripture study today? And he 
would be like, I don't like, I just feel like you're nagging me about this. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, we've always talked about, we've always talked about God. We've always talked about what we were studying. Like, I'm not trying to nag you, like something's not right here, you know? And um, he did mention he played video games. Um, I remember him telling me at times, like, I just play them because it's the only way I feel like I can escape from reality right now. And I mean, and I'm there with like, my one-year-old, my pregnant self. And then I have this newborn baby who's got acid reflux and I'm trying to keep him quiet and just all of this stuff. And I'm like trying to like take this burden off of him, you know? And we got to the point where we're like, okay, I remember sitting in our bed, in our bedroom and just saying like, look, like we've done all that we know how to do and it's getting worse. And this is also with regards to things that he struggled with. So not just depression. Um, But I'm like, and if it's getting worse, like we need to go out like outside of us because there's not we can't just keep doing the same things and expect it to get better um so we went to the bishop the bishop's like i'm not a therapist so he sent us to therapy together that wasn't Wait, the, the bishop said i'm not a therapist yes <laughs> that is a great bishop right there yeah but yeah so he's like but i've just and he was a new bishop he'd been newly called <laughs> he's like but i've been like we just encourage you to go as couples so we went as a couple um not a good fit with a therapist. I kind of was like, our marriage is great. Like, it's just like, he's having a hard time right now. So I kind of think he needs to go. He ended up talking with a friend who'd had a really good therapist. So he went to that therapist. Um, and then it wasn't until probably three and a half years into our marriage that he started on medication. Um, and that really helped. It took a little bit, but it really just helped to kind of, his therapist had said like big, um, we're not therapists, but big life events can have the effect of turning off a switch in our mind that allows us to feel and there and medication can help turn that switch back on. Cause for Andrew, he was just like, I just don't feel anything. I don't feel anything when I read my scriptures. I don't feel anything when I go to church. I just don't feel anything. And, but a lot, but feeling a lot of sadness, I guess, yeah, <laughs> felt like the I, negative feelings, but not the positive ones. I remember that that was one of the things that. I told her was that, you know, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about death. You know, I was thinking frequently, like what would happen if I got hit by a car today and died? Like what would happen to the boys and to my wife? And it was just a depressing thought. And I, and I was also just thinking, you know, I've got to figure out if all of this is real, if all of this is true in regards to the church, because if I'm thinking about this constantly, like I've got to, I've got to figure it out. Um, but for you, it was more God before. Yeah. And it was, it wasn't necessarily the church. It was just the, the, the idea of, of a life after this in any form. Um, and I know for a lot of people, it's, you know, the truth claims of the church is what ends up breaking their shelf and them, you know, looking into things and then them end up, you know, going away. But for me, it was, I, I started with science and I started with, uh, learning about other religions. And I read, um, I always want to call him Carl Sagan, but he's not Carl Sagan. The The new Carl Sagan. Sam Harris, new, Richard Dawkins. New, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. There you go. Yeah. New, <laughs> new Carl Sagan. Um, I, I've read some of his books, Stephen Hawking and these other uh, just geniuses and learning you know, the scientific side of things. And then 
as I read, and I would go, because I hadn't really been reading the scriptures a lot in this depression time, and then I would go back to the scriptures when I was reading a lot of these scientific things and some of the historical uh, the historical Christian kind of uh, books, and I would compare, and I would read it with a critical eye. And every time I read the Book of Mormon, I read it with a critical eye, and I was putting myself in the shoes of somebody who was on the other side that didn't believe, you know? And, uh, and so I did, that's when I did a lot of studying and searching, and that was when a lot of Katie, there's a lot of Katie getting frustrated because... And nagging, apparently. <laughs> well, no, she she wanted to know. She's like, I, you keep saying that you're trying that you're figuring this out. What and does that mean? Yeah, and I and I don't see you figuring it out, Andrew. I don't see you doing that. And, well, and I said to him, I was like, you're not reading your scripture, so you're pretty much guaranteed that you're not going to know that they're true. You're not even reading them. And he's like, but if I read them, I'm like super critical of them. And I just was in this like, um, maybe more <coughs> orthodox in this way mindset of like, well, you got to read your scriptures to know that they're true. You've got to say your prayers to know that God is real. Like you've got to go to church. You've got to go to the temple. You've got to do these things. And, and I will say, I, I put a lot of the blame on um, the, I know I didn't mention it before, but pornography struggled with pornography. And so I put a lot of the blame on that, like, Oh, it's just numbing your spirit. And that's why this is so hard for you. And I didn't, I, I think I just kind of fought this, faith crisis, I guess, in my husband, because I wasn't understanding it. I hadn't like seen people, I don't know, question things that way, you know, and I'm not my husband, like, of course, not my husband. He's just, his dad died and he's struggling with pornography. And this is why all these things are happening. And, and it's okay because one day he won't anymore. So <laughs> I'm just going to remind him he's supposed to read his scriptures and say his prayers because we're like linked together eternally. And so I've got to make sure that, you know, he's doing these things. And anyway, I also was in a really <laughs> tough mind. She was in I a think. bad spot. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was reasons, not easy but... for her with the kids and trying to keep them quiet at my mom's house and stuff. But Oh, I know with your, with, I mean, I know people love their mother-in-law. I love mine, but still living with other people is very difficult, especially with kids. It is. And you're always conscious of, am I being a nuisance? Yeah. And yeah. I think also that was just an interesting place for us. Like Everything just like came together all at once. It's like we moved to be closer to family, but then we were like, (laughs) like, in the dark, almost like we're living in the basement. Like we don't have any friends. Like we're in this ward where, you know, most people are established families, not like young married couples with their new children. You know, it was just a very different place. It was like, it was like a pre 2020. (laughs) It was weird, but, (laughs) but I think there are all these different aspects, but also the fact that like I didn't feel like I had people I could go to. I didn't want to like be sharing what he was struggling with, with everybody. And it got to the point where I finally was like, can I talk to like some people about this? Because I just need to get it out. You know, I remember calling my mission president and I was like, I don't know like what to do right now. Like, I'm just so sad and I don't know what to do. And he, um, he told me, I mean, we had a long conversation, but he said, you need to work on you and you, your feelings and where you're at. And you need to let Andrew work on him And then together you work on your marriage. Like you don't need to fix Andrew and Andrew doesn't need to fix you. He doesn't need to fix your sadness and you don't need to fix his addiction. Like you work on those things separately and then together, just get together and work on your marriage. And 
and it wasn't that we ever thought our marriage was bad. <laughs> like we just had these things we were struggling with. And um, I think that also has been like a theme for me throughout all of his experience, his journey, just like, okay, you can work on you and I can work on me and we can still be totally strong and love each other and make it through, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like, no, that's a good point because I think that when you're, you're dealing with your own depression, your own, you can call it anything, you know, new baby. I mean, just your own woes of life. Um, it can feel amplified in your own marriage, right? So sometimes you tend to, you know, shy away from talking or working on that marriage because there's so much going on with, within yourself individually that you can just like turn yourself off to the other person and, or feel responsible for the other person's feelings. So that's, that was really good advice by your mission president. This follow-up may be uh, jumping in the timeline a smidge. um, But Katie, I wanted to ask you, like, was there a moment, like at what point, and maybe that's over a a span of time, a span, a span of time um, that you kind of recognize that, what Andrew was going through as far as wrestling with his faith wasn't actually directly tied to issues of pornography or a lack of effort on his part. Or did you come to that realization? I don't know. No, that's a good point. I don't know if I did. <laughs> um, I can I can say there was a time where things were really like tough with pornography and I kind of like let him know where I was at. I was out of the country. It's probably the only time I've maybe yelled at my husband. <laughs> I was really upset. And I came home from this trip out of the country. This two years ago, this next February. And I think that was a turning point for us. Cause that I came home from that. We had a big conversation. We talked about where he was with God. He had told me before that he didn't know if he believed in God and had asked me like, have you ever like considered the idea that God might not exist? And I'm like, no, but that I think, I think just his opening up to me more about what was going on in his head allowed me to see like, Oh, he is working through this. And, and I guess for me, um, if you know, my husband, you know, that he's an honest man. Like he is a man of pure integrity. And he, and that also um, means that he wants to be true to himself. He wants to, he won't do something if he doesn't feel that it's who he is, Um, which is why he doesn't dance with me, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But my point is that for me, for him to come to that conclusion, like, I don't believe in God. Like that means he's, that's really where he's coming from. He's not just like throwing the idea out there because he's just like, man, I just don't believe in God. I just don't want to go to church anymore. Like, He'd, he'd really, and he still does. I mean, he's still learning and processing things and finding what feels right for him. And I think that also opened up the opportunity for me to be more, not that I wasn't authentic, but just like, okay, I can talk about these things too, where I'm at. And it's okay that we're not on the same page. Um, yeah. So Andrew, thank you, Katie. Andrew, let's, let's tie that in then to uh, where your journey kind of took you to, obviously there's not a conclusion because like Katie mentioned, we're always still learning, but when, when did you kind of end up saying, okay, this is now what I believe about the church or what about what I believe about God, or this no longer works for me. When was that kind of moment of that's it? 
Um, I think it was it was almost two years ago when she came back from that trip to Peru. Um, and I think that's when I that's when I told you, right? That's when we like really had a real deep conversation. Yeah, I think. And I and I yeah, what did you tell her? I think I I told her like I think I've kind of settled on the idea that I I hope that there's something after this, but I am leaning more towards I don't think that there is. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think I believe in God. It'd be great, but I I don't think I do. And that's when you know the tears flow and and they cue my 23 year old self who wrote that he needed to love God, yeah, right? right. <laughs> like, right. where has everything well, gone? Like, and this then is I'm, so, but in her eyes, I'm basically telling her our ceiling means nothing to, to me anymore. You know, then what does that mean for our marriage? You know, what do we teach our kids? You know, everything just unravels. Blessings. This, yeah. <laughs> the, the, your whole foundation of your life just unravels in these few words. And, um, and it was hard. And we, we talked late into the night and, um, and it turned into months of just daily discussions about different things where we're at. And, um, I think, can I mention that too? I think it's been really helpful for me. And I know that this isn't necessarily what everybody gets to experience, but for me, like Andrew's very respectful of what I believe. And I try to be respectful of what he believes. And I think that that allows for more open communication not like fearing that the other person is like oh but i'm hearing you and i'm listening but that's not right kind of like i was doing to people when i was a teenager (laughs) yeah but you're not really right you know but like just knowing that like we trust each other on such a deep level that it's okay that we don't believe the same but we can love each other and our and our each other's beliefs and respect them i think that that's huge and i think that's been it a huge thing for us in learning to love and accept other people around us. Um, I feel like we've been pretty accepting of people, but I look back and I'm like, man, (laughs) like my teenage self was more judgmental than I thought she was, you know, (laughs) like, man, I really like haven't had a place for um, other people because in the back of my mind, I'm just saying, yeah, but you're not really right. You know, I'm really right. Well, that's, I feel like I, that's one of the things that as I kind of did my research and I was trying to figure things out, I realized I'd been brought up in this black and white world where we have all the truth and we need to tell everybody else about the truth. And if you do this, then it's a sin. Like there was always like a line, you know, in the Mm -hmm. sand and there was always black and white. And I found out that there's a lot more gray to life and to decisions and to marriage and, um, than all these things that we were ever taught. I mean, I feel so awful about so many different things that I've said over the years. Um, I, I saw somebody uh, in one of the interviews I was watching a few months ago wear a shirt that said, I'm sorry for all the things I said when I was Mormon. <laughs> I've seen that shirt. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's how I feel with so many things because I'm like, what? I'm on like the total opposite side with so many different things now because I've been able to kind of take this time to put myself in other people's shoes and really, really try to do that. Um, and not just, you know, pretend, but really try to imagine, you know, I've got a, one of my best friends, uh, is gay. And I remember him telling me that was a really big turning point for me too. When I was trying to figure things out, I remember him telling me, imagine that somebody told you, 
that you couldn't be with Katie and still, you know, be righteous or whatever, be worthy, you know? And it kind of hit me and I was just like, that would suck, you know? (laughs) But, you know, I was raised in a house where my dad was borderline homophobic, you know? (laughs) And so to be able to put myself in his shoes, you know, it really flipped things. And that's when I was able to start putting myself in the shoes of, Muslims and Jews and all these different people around the world in different situations. And that's how I was kind of able to analyze like, okay, well, does God answer my prayers? Does God answer the prayers of somebody in Somalia who's starving to death? You know, like, and I don't know, I just started to realize that there's, there's so much more in between and that, you know, maybe if we, we could just spread a little more gray compassion. and compassion that, you know, right. that there's not always one answer to everything, you know? Yeah. I'm picking up on something. I want to ask both of you this kind of the same question. Um, you believe differently now, right? Andrew, we just heard a, a little bit into your, your process of getting into other people's shoes. So maybe we'll ask you first, Katie, when you look at, what Andrew now believes, how do you see that benefiting him and what, what positives do you see and what Andrew's current belief system is or is not? That's a really good question. I think it, for me, it just goes back to like his journey and what he's come to now has really opened up his mind to being more compassionate. Like, like we see other people and we're like, we want like we go out to somebody go out to dinner with somebody and you know they get some alcohol and it's like we're like literally not judging you like i don't want you to think that like we're sitting here like oh my gosh why are you drinking alcohol like you're a good person you know and maybe that's something that i grew up with though too like with my family um but i i don't know i remember (laughs) i remember deciding when i was a teenager that i didn't ever want to raise a family in utah um, because I didn't like the culture, even as a teenager. And this is a big statement. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, there you are. Running bread. Um, but I didn't want to because I wanted my kids to have diversity. I wanted them to grow up where not everybody was of the same faith, but then choosing different things. Um, mainly just because that's how I grew up. And it it was always weird to me that Andrew didn't like understand things the same way. But I think now like we've, we've both opened up to just really like from the heart, like loving people without this, like, but you're supposed to be different, but I'm going to love you right now, but you're supposed to be different. Do you know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. Andrew, I mean, same question to you. You, you, you talked a lot about putting yourself in other people's shoes, put yourself in Katie's shoes. What, especially what differs between your belief and hers. How do you feel like Katie's, beliefs are a benefit to her or actually a a big strength, even though they're different than yours. She, she's always been super charitable and she, she always just, it's just in her nature. She just reaches out to other people and helps them. And, um, but she has this love of God. She just wants to do the right thing. And I think it's, 
one of those things that for her, it's God helping her to know what to do and his influence in her life to be able to make these decisions and to know who to reach out to um, and to do those things. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see any problem with as, as an unbeliever, I don't see any problem with somebody still believing because, you know, I see that it, it obviously is a benefit to a lot of people. And, you know, you talk about things not working for me anymore, you know, uh, like you don't, you don't throw out harsh words when you say things to your spouse that's still believing. You want to say things like, you know, this isn't working for me anymore, but like it works for her and it's a huge benefit. Like she, talks about how she's like, I just need to take the sacrament because she didn't get to, because it was state conference about two weeks ago. And, uh, and she got to go this last Sunday and take the sacrament and feel rejuvenated, you know, and, and that's awesome. I don't, I don't ever want to take away from that. I, I've, I always will hold a place to be able to discuss my journey and what I've been through and the things that I've learned. I mean, we could have a whole podcast episode about, you know, the different things that we've learned. And maybe, maybe that's for John Dolan to, <laughs> to unwrap, but um, not but it's quite like, our seven hour format. Is it? I know. Right? He likes to do the long. <laughs> um, yeah. We, I just, I think that uh, if somebody wants to believe in God and it makes them be a better person, more power to them. Like who am I to try to take you away from that? You know, and if you want to hear my story, then I'll tell you my story. But I, I don't think anyone should go around saying, hey, you're you're ignorant or how can you believe this? Like, that's just it's just yeah. not nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you have a question. Well, no, I was going to say, Katie, it's it's really beautiful to see you get emotional when he says that. What does that mean to you? Now, a reminder, we can see the webcam. We can no see one else the webcam. Can. You're not being very loud about it. <laughs> yeah what what are you feeling talk about it if you can if you want no it's just it's sweet to me <laughs> um for lack of a better word i guess because um i feel like a lot of this journey and it, i think it really um, depends on the perspective, but there've been moments in the journey where I've just felt like things just keep getting taken away from me. Um, blessings, um, tithing, like temple attendance, like just different things. And that, and that's one way to look at it. Right. And I think we just naturally as humans have a tendency to see what we don't have anymore. Um, but it's also just beautiful to see, like, that doesn't mean that he doesn't still love me and respect me for where I'm at. Um, and it's not that we've, like, it's not like this is the first time we've talked about this. It's just, like, really sweet to hear it said, I guess, for the masses. <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking about, like, I'm looking at my notes and how um, I wrote about, like, getting a life coach. And... And how it was honestly, I think it was like right around this time last year that I reached out to a friend who I knew was a coach. And I was like, I don't know like what this even means, but can you, can I do a session with you and um, whatever that means? And um, 
So I ended up like, she ended up being my coach. And I remember I had come to her with these different things that were hard for me with our difference in beliefs. And, um, and there was one in particular, there's like this really silly thing, but there was just to give an example, like, I really don't like video games. <laughs> Poor Andrew. He said that I loved it, even though he had like played video games, but I don't like them. And I remember bringing it to her one day because I was so irritated with it. And because I wanted him to be different. I wanted him to not play video games so much. Like, don't spend so much time on them. And the principles were just that I wanted him to be different than he was. And I, I could be okay right now, but I would be happier if he were different. And, and she said to me, like, what if people are in our lives just so we can learn to love them and love them right now for who they are. And, um, this overarching principle, like in our marriage, right? Like I get to love you right now. Like even while you're playing video games, like I get to love you and I get to love you with you not believing in God. And I get to love you with like these differences in the way we approach life. Sometimes like I don't have to wait for that day when we're standing before God and we get to go live in the celestial kingdom. Like I can love you right now and you don't have to be different. Um, anyway, I think that that's a really nice way to maybe even just help you change your mindset about what's happening. That one thing that's, that's irritating you, um, you know, and speaking of like living in the moment and loving people for who they are right now, that's what you did with your dad, right. For the last couple years of his life. And you talk about how much that, that means and that meant to your family um, because that was just time well spent, right? You knew you had that much time left. Um, so Andrew, I want to, I want to ask, I think people will be thinking, how do you talk to your family or tell your, your mom or your siblings about where you're at after have gone through something that was so, you know, difficult with losing your dad, um, and probably a lot of a lot of feelings of celestial families wrapped up into that that can be really painful for you know the families and it can be painful for you in processing that so how did have you told them and um how did you go about talking about it well for some of them we'll send them a link to this podcast <laughs> um, hi family <laughs> yeah so i i've talked with my mom left the church two years ago. Um, she told me she did about two years ago and uh, it's probably wrong, but um, she's actually in the tightrope group. We didn't know this until a few weeks ago, but yeah. So she, um, so I, I talked with her about it about a year ago when she told me that she'd left. We've told my, my brother and his wife and then, so all my siblings know, but I sat down, we had them over for dinner for Sunday and we, um, we just talked with them about where I'm at and kind of what I've been reading and doing and where I was, what I believe now. And, uh, and my brother's wife, I just remember her saying like, that's awesome. Like you really seem like you are searching for truth and that's great. And if you feel happy and you guys are in a good spot, then 
been more power to you, you know? And um, I ended up having to send my sister a text because she was quarantining because of different reasons. And, um, and she just said, I love you. Like, it doesn't matter to me if, you know, what you believe, like I, I'll always love you. And so, and then I talked with my youngest sister who has also left the church and, uh, and it was something that we were actually we were able to bond over a little bit, just we, <laughs> as the oldest and then her as the youngest and there being like what, 12 years in between us. There's I mean, it's, gap. there's a big gap and we don't have a ton in common. And so it was kind of cool to share our stories each and to be able to come together that way. But um, I haven't really told any of my other family members. There's a lot of close friends that I've talked with about, but um, what, I don't think you've told any of your family, have you? My sisters, no. My brothers. <gasps> Seems like that's news to you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, I mean, this is such a difficult subject. Um, I, it sounds like, especially with your sister, um, there's healing happening, Andrew, with you and your, your family, which, um, is, is really helpful. Right. And hopefully that will just get better as time goes on. And then, you know, Katie, I'm sure hopefully this episode definitely helps with people understanding where you're at and where you're coming from, because we can both tell and feel just how hard you've, you've worked on your, your own marriage um, to get to where you are now. What about the mixed faith marriage is still, is still hard. I know you have two young kids. Have you discussed like what the future looks like with them? Andrew has wanted to discuss it. We haven't like sat down and really talked about it. You haven't. Have you sat down and talked about it with me? No. Oh. <laughs> so I've I've actually several times when it's just been me and the boys, uh, we have like little teaching moments. They'll be watching something on the TV and um, they're like, I, I'll use segues. So there might be somebody on the TV that's speaking a different language or something. And I'll say, is it weird if somebody says, you know, words that you don't understand that speaks a different language and they'll say, no, like, it's kind of weird. But, and I'll be like, well, is it bad that they speak a different language? No. Okay. I'm like, well, what if somebody didn't believe in God? You know, would that make them, a bad person. A bad person. And they both, you know, they're six and four. But my six-year-old was like, no, that doesn't make them a bad person. And so we just have like these little cute conversations where I, I've kind of introduced to them the ideas that, you know, just because somebody has a different skin color or speaks a different language or believes something that you don't believe, it's okay. We can still be friends with them. Mm-hmm. And um, And we've talked about how you know, I don't pray anymore. Like sometimes <laughs> Porter, my youngest son, Porter will say it's daddy's day to, to pray. And I'll be like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say the prayer. And then my, my older son Lincoln's like, yeah, cause daddy doesn't say prayers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they pick so, up real quick. And, and kids are resilient, know. man. Yeah. Kids are resilient. Like it's, it's likely not ever going to be a problem for them. Yeah. The problem, it's not going to be a problem that you believe differently than each other. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. I it's yeah. funny. I just had the same conversation with the kids the other day about like skin color and still loving people and talking about how we're different and we believe differently and we still talk about it. Um but I guess the part that I haven't we haven't like solidified on how we want to approach it is like teaching 
the lessons of the church, the gospel versus not like we haven't really approached that. Um, you did ask like what were hard things for us. Like, for me, like one is just when I need a like when I want a blessing because I love blessings. <laughs> and then I have to call up somebody in the ward, I have to call somebody else up in the ward. And then they sit there while my husband sits there. And then I don't know what they're thinking, but I don't want to explain it to them. I just want a blessing. <laughs> like, but I also, I also don't want people, I guess this is one part that like, and maybe you have felt this way too. I don't want people to think that because we have different beliefs that they need to feel sorry for us. Like, like I want to say, it is so beautiful and it is so wonderful and it's hard, but guess what? The hard things can bring us closer together. Like I not that I loved like when he would relapse, but I loved the conversations that came afterwards when we were just so raw and vulnerable and we could just grow closer to one another. And I, like I've told him like when I'm having a hard time, when he's like, I don't want to pay tithing anymore. And I'm like crying, you know, but I'm like, it's okay that I'm crying and you don't have to make me feel better. And I can be sad. And this is just part, this is like a good, clean pain. And I'm not going to run away from you with it. I'm going to stay close to you and we're going to talk about it. And like it, and in that, I just think that we're provided so many opportunities to just come closer to one another. And I love that, like (laughs) love it so much. Anyway, yeah, I uh and I I I feel the same way. Like I I've listened to your guys's views on some of these things about how you know, some people are very well-meaning and they say certain things like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, Katie, that must be so hard for you," you know, like like I'm just like this deadbeat all of a sudden, you know. Um and I don't know. I think it's pretty besides me not being there at church, Nobody's at church. Nobody's at church anyway. But <laughs> but besides that, like people don't see, they don't see me doing things anymore. You know, they're not in my house every day. So they don't see me the way that I treat my kids. They don't see me wrestling and tickling them and having a good time. And every now and again, getting mad at them. But I mean, they, and they don't see the way that I treat my wife. They they don't know. They just assume that, you know. He's gone off the deep. I'm just this We don't crazy, really know what they assume. Yeah. Or we that, assume that they assume these things. Yeah. Or that, you know, and I've been pretty open with people about, you know, my struggle with pornography over the years. And so I think there are probably some people that are just like, well, he probably just wanted to not feel guilty about, you know, looking at porn all the time. And, um, and just for the record, ever since that big conversation, ever since that big conversation, not an issue. It's, it's weird how when suddenly something isn't like this, like, Oh, can't do that thing. If you look at that, like that's cross the line and that's bad. And like all of a sudden it's like the curiosity is gone and it's not a big deal anymore. Right. And so it's kind of like the shackles were broken when I was able to be completely open with my wife about what I believe. And then all of a sudden that guilt that I was programmed to feel all growing up, (coughs) excuse me, was taken away. And it was like, it was like, it wasn't even a, a thing anymore. I think there's so much beauty in authenticity. I just think if we could be more authentic in our lives, this is speaking for myself as well in different areas, but like we would, we would be able to see the hard times as formative experiences. Um, I've listened, part of my journey through this has been 
um, studying what Thomas McConkie teaches. Yeah. Um, like a big part of like where I'm at with my faith right now and my like desire to grow closer to God. Like, yes, some of the issues that Andrew brings up, like, I don't really, I see that they're hard, but I don't see them as issues because it's not like necessarily relevant to me. And that's not to push other people aside. But I just think like, if I can focus on like my relationship with God, even if it seems different than what other people in my ward or in my state or in the church are trying to tell me that I should believe like, that's okay. Because I think that the God that I believe in wants me to be me and, and he wants Andrew to be him and any type of experience that we have can be formative and bring us closer in my, in my belief, bring us closer to him and, and who we really can be. And just love and acceptance between the two of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love what you just said. I We want to wrap up with asking you the question, what advice would you give to any couple who are in this position who are really struggling? Is there something that you would like to share that was helpful for you or advice that um, would maybe be comforting or helpful to them? So much. I mean, I think trying to find, obviously, if anyone's listening to this podcast, they're, they're trying to find community or they're trying to put themselves in somebody else's shoes and see um, what it's like. Or, But I, I think that you just need to, like Katie said, love them where they're at. I mean, if you love them when you got married and all of a sudden this shift in belief is happening, it's not like they're choosing to rip the foundation that built their lives down. You know, they're not, they're not choosing that they're they're It's happening to them. And so be there for them while it happens and, and try your best, even, you know, as the believing spouse, anyway, try your best to, to listen and to understand that it's, it's painful for the person that is losing their faith and it's, it's painful for them. I think, I feel like so often whoever is losing their faith or um, changing their faith is pinned as the bad guy, you know? And a lot of people don't see that it's really hard to be the one on the couch while somebody else gives my wife a blessing, you know, and to think like, what are they thinking? You know? And then it's really hard to be somebody who can't give a blessing or, you know, stand in a circle at a baby blessing anymore or something like that, you know, and it's, it's not the easy road. Um, And so if both spouses can just love each other where they're at, realize that it's not easy for either of them. um, And to just realize that it gets better, it gets better over time. Like it kind of like with some losing a loved one, like losing my dad, it, people said time will make it better. And I feel like it should be time will make it tolerable, you know, cause it's, it's always painful, but I, I do feel like time will make it tolerable. And as, as you take day by day, you can just get better at it. Yeah. Um, Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, one of the thing that things that's like 
prominent in my mind right now is just letting yourself feel what it is to be hurt. Like it's okay on either side for it to hurt and, and let like, in a sense, let yourself grieve this life that maybe you thought you were going to have, whether you're the believing spouse or the non-believing spouse, like know that life is different for both of you. Um, and I know, I know because of people I've talked to this community um, that one spouse or the other isn't always on board with like being okay <laughs> right now. Um, and maybe it's, it's a lot more difficult because there isn't communication Remember that like the other person doesn't need to change in order for you to be happy or in order for you to love them. Like you can be happy right now and you can be sad right now and just don't try to, I don't know, push it away (laughs) and don't try to change somebody else. Let them be them, let them hurt and just sit by their side and say, I love you. Like I'm here for you no matter what we we might not know what li- our life's going to look like in 10 years, but guess what? We didn't know what it was going to look like today, 10 years ago. And so it's okay for it to be different. We're just going to learn how to accept change together. Um, like I'm grateful for what his journey has brought into my life and how I've been able to change in a way that like, I thought I was doing pretty great at, like, I thought I was really compassionate, like, and maybe I'm, I've still got a long way to go. But like, I just think that my mind is a lot more open. And like, let people be in their pain. Don't try to fix them. Don't try to save them. Like, why don't we just love them right now? Katie, can you think of a better way to end the episode? I can't (laughs) Love, love people where they are right now. Awesome. Other Katie. Oh, you shouldn't be known as other Katie. (laughs) Katie in the spotlight. We'll say Katie in the spotlight. Thank you for that. That last message. That was great. And Andrew and Katie, thanks for joining us on Marriage on a Tightrope. Honestly, I love how just calm and cool and collected you are and how you communicate with each other. And I I really feel like this was a, a great episode for all the listeners to to get to know another couple that is going through something very similar uh, th- to what they are going through. And I think that you've used uh, your words very wisely to spread some, some great wisdom and compassion for everybody. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. I believe that when it's done, we're going to see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't want to leave. Cause if change is what you need You can change right next to me When you're high, I'll take the lows You can ebb and I can flow We'll take it slow And grow as we go